This podcast is part of the Telerik Developer Network. Telerik by Progress. Hello and welcome to Eat Sleep Code, the official Telerik podcast. I'm your host, Ed Charbonneau, and today my co-host for the Telerik Developer Digest episode will be Sam Basu. Hey, Sam. Hey, Ed. How you doing? Good. We have a busy week with uh, Telerik Developer Relations. Uh, Brian is out, so thanks for filling in for him. No problem. Yeah, so I'm going to kick things off a little differently this time. Um, we have a really cool program going called All of Your or All Your Snacks Are Belong to Us. Uh, this is a native script uh, DevRel initiative. Um, so uh, the snacks, native script snacks website is like this really cool place where you can go get like these uh, five minute or less videos on how to do something really awesome in native script. Um, so there's a campaign going to uh, get people out there and submit some um, some videos of your own. And we have some cool sunglasses and stuff that we're giving away. So I asked uh, Jen Looper, who is in charge of uh, this really cool um, contest or whatever you want to call it, um, to uh, just kind of give us a little info on uh, what the contest is all about and how to get involved. So I'm going to hand it over to Jen and then uh, we'll get back to the show in a moment. Hi everyone, this is Jen from Developer Relations and I'm happy to announce a fun summer program that we've launched on the NativeScript Community Slack channel. Uh, first of all, if you aren't on that channel, you can join by visiting nativescript.org, clicking Community and then Slack channel and requesting an invitation. And we have a lot of fun times on that channel, I'll tell you. Okay, second, we've launched a bounty program from within that Slack channel, which involves submitting any short video tutorials or code snippets for NativeScript apps. So this summer, if you submit a snack, what I call a snack, to nativescriptsnacks.com, I will personally ship you a pair of NativeScript sunglasses. And these are really nice, comfortable, good-looking glasses. You're going to need them during the dog days of summer. So please visit nativescriptsnacks.com, submit a snack, and tell us all about it on Slack. Thanks a lot. Okay, Sam, we're back with uh, the next topic at hand. We had a, an article by Peter Filipov this week, and the, the title of the article is Every ASP.NET Web Developer Can Be a Mobile Developer. So Peter's discussing the similarities between uh, web, ASP.NET Web Forms and NativeScript. Yeah. So... Sam, what's your take on on this comparison? Is, is this something that's like really similar, or uh, how are those similarities broke down? What do you think? Yes, I think so. But before we get into it, just maybe a quick uh, introduction. So Peter Filipov is actually our uh, colleague on the developer relations team. Um, he is actually uh, uh, he comes from a very technical background. He used to be one of the PMs in our ASP.NET uh, developer tools uh, division. Uh, for Telerik, and he's come over from Sofia, and now he is uh, a PM and uh, a DevRel for Sitefinity. So he really comes from a very diverse and uh, technical background. And I think what he is doing, and he's got like a couple of articles this week, he's trying to draw some parallels between the world that he comes from of ASP.NET and Sitefinity, 
and uh, bringing uh, that experience over to NativeScript, which is our cross-platform way of uh, uh, making native mobile apps. And I think he makes some very convincing uh, points. Uh, as we all know, ASP.NET Web Forms is the traditional way we have always done uh, web development with ASP.NET Stack. It's to this day, I mean, I know with, uh, we'll talk about .NET Core and the new and the fun stuff, uh, and Web Forms isn't quite carrying its weight over to the new stuff in .NET. But to this day, I think Web Forms is still incredibly productive. If you just have to quick, uh, quickly whip up a web application, Web Forms with its uh, lifecycle and the way things work is very productive for developers. So I think what Peter is doing is um, trying to see if uh, if you come from a heavy ASP.NET Web Forms background, all of this new uh, cross-platform uh, mobile stuff might seem very daunting, but um, he's, he's drawn some really nice um, parallels to how your experience, how your skills kind of translate over. So to start off, I think um, the IDE that you develop in, I mean, we all have a lot of choice nowadays with these lightweight uh, IDEs and uh, code editors, but you can still do native script development inside of Visual Studio. There is a native script extension, and that gets you a nice uh, getting started experience. There are templates uh, and so on. So uh, you can develop uh, your entire application inside of Visual Studio with all your fear comforts kind of um, in place. And that brings uh, over some of the language benefits that you get uh, while developing native script apps. You will have complete uh, code IntelliSense, whether you write uh, CSS or JavaScript. Uh, and then uh, with JavaScript, you you do get uh, fairly good um, IntelliSense in Visual Studio or Visual Studio Code. But I think the deal uh, gets sweeter when you use uh, TypeScript to build your native script apps, because that's where Visual Studio really shines uh, to give you the IntelliSense that you need. Yeah, one thing I noticed about uh, native script and uh, web forms that's that's similar and is pointed out in the article is the fact that you have like this one-to-one parity between or you can have anyways between your your web view or sorry your native view and um, your code behind uh, like you would in web forms you you have the similar paradigm in native script where you have you know your controls and then there's a view or a a set of code that powers that view and that code in native script is obviously uh, javascript which a lot of asp.net web forms developers get a bad rap for not knowing javascript somehow yet i think if you asked most of them they'd be pretty comfortable with writing javascript yeah and i think it's it's more of a um thing that we have kind of inherited that we are not good at writing JavaScript if we come from a strong ASP.NET background. I don't think that's true anymore because the modern web forms developer isn't doing everything server-side. There's a lot of Ajax and we dive into our views and we write JavaScript. So uh, I think what you're referring to, there are very similar concepts that you can take from web forms uh, when you're building native script apps. There is main page uh, ASPX with its code behind. There is main page JS and its code behind is an XML. And uh, not just just a files and the, how the uh, solutions are set up. It's just how things work once you get uh, under the covers and you start writing your code. When you are declaring your controls, like your UI, you will get strong IntelliSense if you have the right namespaces. And then uh, the way you hook things up, the way you build up your visual tree, uh, be it in HTML uh, in the web forms world or be it in uh, native script, uh, you are building up the same visual tree. You can add children uh, inside like container controls. And then also how you hook up events is very, very similar. So just like in ASP.NET, you'll have a button 
Uh, you can have a button.click handler that goes in the code behind. You can do the exact same thing in ADScript. Uh, for example, you can have a button with a tap event and then on your code behind you simply write a function which is on tap. You're writing JavaScript or TypeScript, but it's the exact same concept. Like when the user taps on the button, there's an event handler that's going to respond. So uh, when it comes to um, event handling, when it comes to data binding, um, there are very uh, similar concepts that you can take from ASP.NET Web Forms to being an ADScript developer. Now, Sam, you're you're a little more uh, up to date on native script stuff. Why don't you take this next one? We've got uh, yet another article from Peter that is how to digitally transform Sitefinity sites to mobile apps with native script. Yeah, sure. So um, Sitefinity is actually uh, a, a beast, and uh, I think I will be honest that uh, me and Ed, we are not experts in Sitefinity land at all, but uh, what Sitefinity lets you do is really manage very, very big enterprise-scale web applications, uh, websites, and there are very, very popular websites uh, which have uh, thousands and thousands of hits and uh, just gigantic uh, production uh, uh, kind of scalability issues that run seamlessly on Sitefinity. So Sitefinity is very, very popular. Uh, it's not just a CMS. Many people think it's just a CMS like WordPress, but it's not. It's much more than that. It's very configurable and all that stuff. So if you are already in the Sitefinity land, I think what uh, Peter is trying to say, again, he's bringing over his experiences, is um, there are things you can do to easily make your content be available as uh, mobile apps, uh, as native uh, apps using native script. So one thing that uh, Sitefinity lets you do is, uh, I mean, yes, it will manage your website and um, have views and uh, controls and everything that your users uh, will see on the front end. But then you can slowly transform your web application to be more of a service-oriented architecture. There are RESTful services that you can expose because at the uh, under the covers of Sitefinity, what you're dealing with is entities, right? So uh, your view might be showing a list of entities or uh, they might be showing the entities in edit mode and so on. But these entities essentially are your data. And Sitefinity lets you hook up um, your uh, data source to just about anything, uh, ADA.NET, uh, Oracle, any DB that you can think of really, because under the covers there is an ORM model, there's an object relational mapping model, which kind of translates your .NET uh, code to the to the SQL-like queries uh, under the covers. So what Sitefinity uh, Web Services actually lets you do is easily create these RESTful endpoints out of your data. So you could choose really any of your entities and I mean, we have seen like this type of model from ASP.NET or other uh, web service type uh, uh, services, but essentially you can select your entity and you can say generate an API out of that entity. And we will turn around and give you a RESTful endpoint that gives you uh, JSON back. And once you have that, that really is just a web service. It's, uh, it's powering your web application, but it's just a web service that you can call from anything, right? Your mobile application, your desktop application and your native script application. So I think what Peter does uh, a really good job is uh, trying to walk you through how you can call these Sitefinity web services from your native script code, uh, just simple HTTP modules that you can uh, pull into your application and you can make uh, HTTP get calls, HTTP uh, put calls and uh, and so on. So you could do an HTTP post with a JSON uh, a workload and that's going to update the ORM behind the scenes if you make the uh, right uh, service call at the right RESTful endpoint, or you can do uh, HTTP GET to bring the data back. And once you have the data, you have the similar concepts of data binding and uh, using uh, CSS layouts to kind of show your data nicely in a native script app. 
Yeah, I'm going to take the conversation slightly off topic too, because this is the first time we've really mentioned Sitefinity on the show. So I think it's a good chance to just kind of get listeners up to speed with what the basics of Sitefinity are. And coming from a background of uh, working with content management systems, I've, I've implemented probably half a dozen different types of content management systems from uh, like Joomla and uh, WordPress. And um, one thing that makes Sitefinity stand out versus some of those is the fact that it's really a content management system. It, you build content first uh, with Sitefinity. Unlike um, WordPress, that it has some similar functionalities now, but they're, they're kind of uh, bolted on, half-baked. Uh, but WordPress initially was like a page management system. You have this concept of pages and posts, and uh, everything's a page within that environment. And within Sitefinity, you, everything that you have in Sitefinity is actually content, and then you can pipe that content into different views, and, and that's what makes things like this web API possible, uh, the ability to, to separate that uh, content from the actual markup that's in the system. Uh, lets you kind of push it out to different platforms and and get at the raw data when you need it. Uh, so if you are not familiar with Sitefinity, just go to Sitefinity.com, check it out. Um, if you're a .NET developer, it's written in ASP.NET. Uh, there's some web form stuff in there. You can also use ASP.NET MVC to do custom programming. And um, there's a nice ORM from Telerik in there. Uh, doing all the back-end stuff. It's called Open Access, which is uh, actually a free product of ours, uh, Open Access. So uh, there's some really, really interesting um, bits that you can go grab and check out with that. Uh, so sitefinity.com. And uh, so I, I second, I actually second that, uh, ahead, Ed. Ahead. So uh, I second that uh, thoughts uh, with uh, with Sitefinity, uh, especially if you come from a .NET background. I think Sitefinity is really nice because it's written in ASP.NET uh, web forms and MVC. So uh, by nature, Sitefinity will let you do a lot of things without actually coding. You can configure a lot of your views. You can configure your uh, your ORM layer and so on. But if you had to jump in and customize something, it's really easy. It's just web forms code that you're looking at. And when it comes to hosting as, as well, uh, this is not PHP or anything else. This is just pure uh, ASP.NET. So you can just host it on any server that just runs IIS. So I think uh, Sitefinity is very, very rich uh, when it comes to uh, supporting very popular websites and you can support your blogging engine with it. So it's, it's very, very powerful. And now with some of these new services, you can really expose your data out really easily from Sitefinity. All right. So we're going to change the gears here and jump on some Angular 2 discussion. So uh, Jeremy Lickness, uh, which is one of our TDEs or Teller developer experts, wrote a great article about rapid cross-platform development with the Angular 2 CLI. So uh, about a couple months ago, I did a show where I had Brad Green on, and he was just kind of hitting the tip of the iceberg on this Angular 2 CLI. So he said they were developing a command line interface for Angular 2, uh, to build Angular 2 apps um, straight from the command line. And that's what Jimmy, or sorry, J Jeremy is writing about in this article. Um, he kind of details the simplified way that you can write Angular 2 apps and uh, create prototypes and do continuous deployment uh, straight from the command line. So, Sam, what do you think about 
all of these uh, tools now that are that are command line driven. We've got uh, this article here by Jeremy that's detailing Angular 2. Uh, .NET Core RTM is out. We'll talk about that in a few moments. And that has a command line interface. Uh, we've talked about NativeScript, and that has a nice command line interface. Uh, what's your take on all this stuff, man? You know, it's it's all it's all coming, and it's it's a little funny at times uh, because as a industry, I think we kind of go uh, in cycles and uh, trends repeat themselves. Uh, hopefully, bellbot genes aren't coming back anytime soon. But uh, if you think about like uh, the hipster world of JavaScript, um, I mean, we from a .NET uh, developer experience, we have kind of been shielded from CLI and .NET. Uh, or I mean, command line tools for for a while with Visual Studio, but a JavaScript web developer or a Node.js developer is very used to keeping the terminal window open all day long. That's how they are productive. That's how their builds work. That's how the tools work. And uh, just for Microsoft uh, and everybody else to have uh, kind of lowered the barrier to entry to their tools and their platforms, I think everybody is going CLI, and I think um, it's an interesting trend. Uh, would we eventually see all of these CLI things kind of wrapped up into a visual IDE eventually again? Uh, potentially, because we uh, tend to repeat ourselves. But right now, every, everyone's kind of going back to the basics. And you see that with Angular, you see that with NativeScript, you see that with .NET. So it really is lowering the barrier to entry where everyone can just fire up a terminal and start developing applications. You can um, you can uh, not just scaffold your application, you can build your application, you can deploy your application, everything from CLI. And it's, it's actually very productive because all of these uh, CLI tools uh, kind of lend themselves to automation when it comes to your build processes. So um, it's nice that we have these tools now. You know, Sam, one day somebody's going to make a nice GUI for all these CLI tools. Yeah, it sounds like Visual Studio. <laughs> um, so with that said, uh, Jeremy has a really great article out there. I'm not going to do any justice by trying to detail what he talks about. I'm just not experienced in it yet. Um, so drop by developer.telerik.com and uh, look for our newsletter, and you'll find it there. And uh, we'll also put it in the show notes on uh, the recording of this episode. Um, he also has some really cool stuff in there about like third-party integration and converting Markdown to HTML. So there's lots of neat stuff in there to go go dig at in the article, so go check that out. Um, and then uh, that kind of segues into this next article that is by me, and uh, I was kind of joking about the... Uh, building a GUI on top of all this stuff. Um, so I wrote this article, uh, Becoming a CLI Artisan on Windows. And uh, this is kind of um, an article that improves the developer experience of writing CLI apps on Windows. Because like Sam and I were talking about, we've got CLIs on every development platform now. Uh, the pendulum is swinging back towards the command line interface, and uh, Windows as a platform is catching up, but not not fast enough for my taste. So, uh, in my opinion, the uh, command line shell uh, that you get with the default installation of Windows 8.1 or 10 uh, is just complete trash. Like, um, I know in 8.1 on a high DPI monitor, I, I couldn't control the font size, so I could never read the darn thing. Uh, Windows 10, it seems like they fixed that, and they added copy-paste, but it's still a very basic terminal. You can't do a whole lot of uh, anything with it. And then we've got more than one terminal, too, right? So we've got um, 
PowerShell and, and other types of command line terminals uh, like uh, the, the Visual Studio command line and stuff like that. So we've got all kind of this hodgepodge of stuff. None of it's great. Uh, so this article kind of details how you can um, install some really uh, easy open source apps that will fix this for you. So we start off with uh, the Chocolatey Package Manager, um, and that's a, a tool that lets you install Windows software from the command line. And then I, I kind of walk you through some of my favorite CLI tooling for Windows. Uh, one of those is PoshGit. So uh, this is a tool that gives you uh, Git uh, project status right in your console. So like if you, you commit a CD over to a folder and you open up that folder, it's it's going to tell you right on the prompt, like how many changes there are and what, what the state of your Git repository is. And then uh, I walk you through the next thing, which is installing a new console. Uh, so there's a free and open source console called ConEMU, and um, that augments that command line experience for you and fixes all of those problems I was complaining about, like the lack of copy and paste before Windows 10 and um, control over the font size and color of the fonts and uh, tabbed windows and all of that great stuff that you would expect from a modern command line. So there's a lot of cool tips and extra stuff in that article. That's another one to, to put on your reading list if you haven't checked it out yet. You know, Ed, I think it's uh, it's funny how you uh, talk about this, and uh, the the interesting thing about about this for me is Windows command line is lagging, and that's the reality. And I think uh, I was on a, listening to another podcast where Microsoft is acknowledging that they haven't really done much work with the CLI or the command line terminals in a while because there just hasn't been much demand in the Microsoft and the .NET space. But that's about to change. I think they're going to put much more investments into it so you don't have to go out and do all of these uh, uh, crazy things to improve your experience. I think they're going to work on this a little better. And I think you see the overall focus from Microsoft even at um, Build 2016 when we are at uh, San Francisco in, in March. Uh, the big message that they wanted to drive home was Windows is home for developers because, I mean, just like us, Microsoft is also seeing lots and lots of Macs that are used by developers. And um, on the Linux and the OSX side of things, if you always have things like Bash, which is a rich command line experience, and they're bringing it over to Windows and they're doing things to kind of spice up the command line experience a little bit, especially now that so many things are CLI tools now. Yeah, in you know, in the article, it's it's kind of explaining how how we got there as well. You know, we we have Visual Studio; it's an amazing tool, and um, all of the, all of the other uh, platforms outside of .NET have kind of fallen back on the CLI stuff recently, and uh, it's kind of taken a little bit of time to play catch up on the tooling on Windows. So we, we've got things that we can install and, and make our lives a whole lot easier. And it's one of those things where I'm, you know, speaking at a conference or user group or something, and I open up my command line and people are like, what's this command line that you have? And did I just see tabs? And, and they start getting excited and you're like, okay, now I have an article I can just point you to and, and help people through that process of finding all this stuff and installing it. So uh, let's switch back over to Angular 2 real quick, and then uh, we'll move on to .NET RTM because there's a lot of news there that we need to cover. 
so I just want to make mention of a um, conversation piece that we, we posted in uh, kind of an article format on uh, developer.telerik.com. And it, we kind of just threw the question out to the team, what are, do you think Angular 2 will take off? And there were four of us in the chat room, and we kind of just weighed in on our own opinions of what we thought the state of Angular 2 was and the future of it was. And uh, there, there's, some, there's some strong opinions back and forth on this one. Um, I, 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 for one, think it's going to do just fine. Um, like Jeremy's article pointed out, there's like a whole new... CLI ecosystem and people are starting to latch on to the the new ideas that they're putting into this, uh, but some others disagree. What about you, Sam? Yeah, I think I overall agree with you. I mean, this is a this is a very controversial thing to talk about, and uh, I think the the developer ecosystem and the community is kind of um, divided on this, uh, especially for uh, someone who has not done a lot of Angular one. I mean, for me, it's an easier get uh, for. Uh, for me to jump into Angular 2, like, okay, aha, I get it. Uh, it's a little more structure. It's a little more architecturally well, I guess, defined compared to um, NG1, which was kind of a little bit of a wild, wild west. And I can see why developers love hacking on something like this, which is like very flexible. But I think with Angular 2, uh, Google is just trying to give a little more structure towards making these applications, uh, be it a very small time uh, blog application or uh, just a giant web application. They're trying to bring a little more structure back. And I think the important thing is it's very enterprise friendly. You can do things in Visual Studio, you can do things in your favorite code editor, and you have the backing of Google and you have TypeScript from Microsoft. So I think all of these things are uh, very enterprise friendly and it might not take off the right way in which Angular 1 did, but it, it will have its audience and uh, you, will see, uh, you will see enterprises kind of taking off on it, I think. Now, speaking of things taking off, uh, .NET Core RTM was Monday. Yes. So what do you think about this? Is this going to take off, .NET Core? Um, it's interesting, but I mean, it, it's a huge milestone, uh, no matter what. And uh, I think some people get uh, a little confused with what exactly happened this Monday. And it's, it's more so about a line in the sand. It's not like the finish line, but it's more of a... Uh, okay, we have gotten to a point where it's ready to ship and it's ready for you to use. So I think uh, many people might actually be confused as to what was released. So uh, back about two or three years back, uh, they realized the need to get .NET outside of just the Windows ecosystem and onto other platforms, be it mobile, be it desktop. So this is where the whole rebirth of .NET is coming along. And this is no simple task. I mean, they are really... Uh, cracking open something that's been out there for 15 years uh, with .NET and they're trying to reposition it for the next 10 years or 15 years. So this release, you had uh, .NET Core 1.0, ASP.NET Core 1.0, NAD Framework Core 1.0, and some tooling that was released. So some of the tooling is actually still preview, but the actual frameworks are shipped and they're ready to go, uh, which includes the ASP.NET uh, Core 1.0. The tooling, uh, some of it is preview, especially the new .NET SDKs, which have um, uh, some of the CLI type tooling that we talked about. Uh, but then we also saw some Visual Studio releases, like with Visual Studio uh, 2013, the Update 3. Uh, those are uh, fixed and uh, permanent releases, which kind of let you on to some of the new .NET uh, core coolness. Yeah, now this is something that came up in the Angular 2, will it take off discussion? And that is like this stability type of a thing where 
uh, there's all of these beta releases coming out, and each one of them is the most painful of bleeding edge breaking changes. <laughs> so it's been a rough road, right? It's been it's been tough getting to this RTM, and you know you'd think that people might be turned off by that, but you know it's the folks like you and me that are trying to stay on top of it are the ones that are really suffering. And I think the people that are out there trying to do their daily job and get software shipped uh, kind of isn't really worried about that. They're, they're going to wait till this thing RTMs and then go look and see, you know, what, what's changed between uh, not having this thing at all and then the RTM. They're not going to look at all these little pain points throughout the entire process like we've had to kind of endure and be dragged through the mud with. Uh, I think that's something that we we lost a little sight uh, sight with on the Angular two discussion um, in that that article we posted is uh, that not everybody follows these things so closely that they're having to put up with all of the the pain points along the entire process as a whole. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So I mean, with the .NET rewrite, I mean things began like three years back, like I said, and we have gone through like five different types of naming and lots of breaking changes across each of the betas and alphas that were released. Uh, and yes, you have been dragged through the mud a little bit uh, if you're a community that's watching this. But the important thing here is to note that they are, Microsoft is doing all of this in the open. So it's, it's very visible what they're doing and it's breaking changes and they are going back on uh, fundamental things that they are promised like project.json or uh, the build systems and so on. And they're having to tweak things to kind of fit the rest of the .NET ecosystem. And you're right, if you are uh, busy just maintaining your applications on .NET today, you're not going to be too concerned with it right now. And I mean, they kind of make the point on their ASP.NET or .NET blogs that if you have something uh, that's working today, don't feel the rush to just jump on. This is very new. That's the whole reason why they went from like ASP.NET 5 to calling it ASP.NET Core 1.0 because it really is a fresh start. So if you have a greenfield development um, in the in the works, look at this stuff. If you want to take your applications cross-platform, if uh, being uh, being on a lean modular web application framework depends or uh, matters to you, then you look at this stuff. But you don't have to today just because .NET Core is RTM'd, kind of look to switch your applications over to .NET Core. In fact, you will actually not have a very good time because uh, .NET Core is a much more lighter subsystem of what the overall .NET framework is today. Uh, much lesser APIs, much lesser app models, and uh, lesser frameworks that it supports, but it really is lean cross-platform. So uh, it's just a different world. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to get into a little story of my own here with ASP.NET Core uh, the tooling for that. So the the original promise on uh, all of this ASP.NET Core stuff in Visual Studio was going to be, uh, you're going to be able to have this uh, tight integration with uh, all of the web-friendly tooling like uh, NPM and Bower and uh, Grunt and Gulp and all the things that... Uh, web development has made popular um, and kind of like there's a pseudo standard out there that if you're if you're doing web development one of these tools if not many of these tools is part of your process now so the first few releases of the .NET Core temp, ASP.NET Core templates um, had this tooling in it right so we we've got uh, in our project structure a place to 
set up NPM modules very easily with IntelliSense, and um, you just go into your uh, JSON file and add those dependencies in, and it, it pulls in the packages on its own, and it was a really nice experience. And then um, we have uh, an integration with Gulp where you can run tasks right from Visual Studio. And then there was this announcement at kind of the last minute, at least I caught it at the last minute, that was about removing all this stuff before RTM. And um, I was like kind of shocked. I was like, okay, that you know, there's this openness to open source tooling, and then all of a sudden it's being shut down. And I was, you know, prepared to make a stink. Let's just say that, like, like this is a shock to me. This is something I was hoping to get support on, and now, now the rug's being pulled right out from underneath me. And, and I bit my tongue and waited for the RTM to ship. Okay, so Monday I get the RTM and install it fire up a file new project and I have to compliment the teams that worked on this on how they solved the problem. So they did in fact yank some of that stuff out of the template and it was uh, the reason given was because there was a lot of bloat with NPM which I can see that thing creates like so many folders in your project it, it gets a little intense um, but the way they they handled it was exceptionally well because if you go to to add any of this stuff to your project like say you add a gulp file.js to your project um, visual studio actually recognizes what you're trying to do and it prompts you to install plugins to support that so it's it's got a really nice you know discoverability factor to it and it, it still lets people do what they want to do without having all that stuff in the default templates. And a, another really cool thing that um, Mads Christensen was working on, he's, he's the guy behind uh, Web Essentials and, and all of the uh, you know, plug-in tooling for Visual Studio. Um, they, they have a bundling and minification system uh, built into ASP.NET Core that uh, kind of replaced the need for NPM and Gulp uh, to begin with. So this this new bundling and minification system is in there. It's really, um, really small and compact. There's not a lot of dependencies or anything on it. So that, that kind of kicked out uh, NPM and Gulp. But if you want to add that stuff back in, he's actually added a context menu on the file itself. So if you click, right-click on this bundle uh, bundling uh, configuration file, it'll say convert to gulp. And when you click that button, it will literally install npm gulp and all of the dependencies that it needs to set this thing up. And you're you're back to where the original template was that that I liked. So they they really found a a, a nice compromise between those two things and. I have to commend them on on how they actually handled that situation without uh, without you know kind of breaking the template for the people who wanted it, but still keeping it the way they envisioned it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's well said, Ed. I think uh, from a Microsoft standpoint, um, it's it's really difficult at times to balance forward-facing innovation with enterprise backward compatibility, right? I mean, those two things just don't go hand in hand. 
I mean, you can go all out uh, with your forward-facing stuff, but then eventually you're going to face a little bit of um, challenge trying to integrate all of that stuff back into all of this baggage that you have. And I think that's kind of what we saw with some of the ASP.NET tooling. I think folks like you and me are very excited to see project.json and grunt and gulp and npm, but a large majority of .NET developers don't do all of that stuff yet. So you see uh, something like um, the project.json thing, uh, I think uh, the, the story I heard was uh, David Fowler was one of the engineers uh, on the, in the ASP.NET team. He is, was he was the founding father of project.json. He was the big fan and he kind of sold everybody on this idea uh, of a JSON file instead of CSProj. And then uh, closer to RTM, he was actually the biggest proponent of taking it out. I mean, it's still there, uh, but eventually it's going to go away um, because the rest of the .NET framework, you do have the WPFs and the WinForms and all of this uh, uh, all of these frameworks that run .NET applications, they don't work with JSON files just as easily uh, compared to a CS project because your build systems depend on it and it's going to be really hard. Uh, I mean, it already is a little bit. I mean, .NET is looking at a little bit of fragmentation right now. So if you are somebody who maintains a library that supports all of these different different .NETs, you, I mean, it's, it's a little challenging for you between uh, one project that does CS project versus one that does JSON. So it might be a little bit of time before everybody kind of catches up to the newer things. But un until then, I think it's nice that they're kind of balancing um, the fact that you can do some of these new things to bring it back and do your NPM and grunts and gulps, but at the same time, you do have the comfort of what works inside of Visual Studio, uh, not just for ASP.NET, but your other uh, application types as well. Yeah, and like you said, the project.json is most likely, at least from what I can tell, almost 99% uh, going to go away. And I was concerned about that at first until I saw the way they handled this uh, ASP.NET template um, uh, thing with npm and gulp, and that kind of gave me a little more reassurance that they'll they'll find a right way to do it, where it's not going to be painful to developers. Um, like I said, I mean this this new system that they've put in place, uh, it keeps things right out in the open for you, and you get a nice uh, like notification in your your IDE that says, I you know God, I'm going to sound like Clippy when I say this. This is this sounds bad, but it's like it comes up and says, you know, I see that you're using Gulp. <laughs> Would you like to, you know, install some tooling for that? And you just click the button and your tooling gets installed. And then from then on, you have this support for Gulp and IntelliSense for for the, uh, um, for NPM and all that stuff just starts coming in real easy. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? Uh, I think um, there's a lot going on uh, with this .NET release. I think the best place for anybody to go look and start is uh, .NET, and that's going to look at your uh, your OS that you're on and kind of guide you the right way. And it gives you the .NET Core, and it gives you the .NET Core SDKs if you're interested, and then it, you can build applications on top of. And uh, one thing new that they're going to start uh, pushing a little bit is the new .NET standard, because like I said, there are multiple .NETs now, multiple BCLs with uh, the .NET framework, uh, the new uh, .NET Core, there is Mono, there is Unity. So they're trying to bring some uh, parity between all of these platforms. So I think the .NET standard is just going to be uh, an API contract uh, that we eventually build upon and say any application that 
that adheres to that standard can can have uh, portability of applications and runtimes between one platform and another. So it, I think it's a new and exciting world, and uh, you'll just uh, this is just a line in the sand. You're going to see a lot more innovation post RTM and a lot more tools and uh, platforms that they keep building on top of this. Yeah, I think one thing we we might have missed is if you go to dot.net, not only do you get the uh, places to get started and, and um, get the new bits, but you you get those for Mac OS, uh, OS 10, and Linux, and, and Windows. So there's a path for each platform to get started, and, and not only for deployment, but for actually writing the code. So you'll get your Visual Studio code installer, or you'll get uh, something to, to plug into Sublime Text, or whatever it is you're using, whatever platform you're using, you'll get the tooling that you need to do .NET development, which is really a new thing, which is hard to wrap your head around if you're used to the legacy of Microsoft. Yeah, it, tr- it truly is. I mean, it might be C-sharp and F-sharp for now, but like VB support is coming, but uh, and again, I mean, for now, it's ASP.NET or uh, some of these console applications or web services, Node.js type applications. But the fact that .NET is not confined to Windows uh, itself, that's just a huge thing by itself. And eventually, you can um, envision a world where your .NET application is just much more portable and they run on all of these different platforms. Because as a developer, um, your uh, OS of choice should not matter anymore. And I think the tools uh, reflect that. Yeah, in <coughs> Telerik uh, or Progress, our, our product, uh, Telerik DevCraft, uh, that is working on all these platforms as well and with ASP.NET Core. So if you're an ASP.NET MVC developer, uh, all of your UI for MVC controls are going to work or already do work on ASP.NET Core, whether you're running on Mac or uh, Linux or Windows, it doesn't matter. Uh, all of that stuff works. So you have, you know, 70, 80 UI controls that are ready and uh, ready to go for your new application that's going to run anywhere. Uh, so that's really awesome stuff. Uh, Kendo UI as well. And, um, you know, we're excited to see some of that stuff uh, uh, coming around to um, use ASP.NET Core. And then uh, we're also shipping some tag helpers, and that'll continue to build up as uh, we convert more of our controls to tag helpers um, as people adopt those. And if you want to find a, uh, if you want to try out the uh, UI for ASP.NET and VC or any of our other product products, uh, go to uh, Telerik.com/slash/devcraft. Grab a 30-day free trial there. Uh, check out all the things. Uh, there's also some open source uh, tooling for Kendo UI if you uh, want to check out Kendo UI Core, which ironically has nothing to do with ASP.NET Core. So just be aware of that <laughs> that naming convention there. I think it's the same idea, like uh, a bit of uh, the core stuff that runs cross-platform and it's free for everybody, and then you build tooling on top of that. But I think it's overall a, a really, really exciting time. To be a .NET developer, you have so much of choice in your tools and your IDEs and your code editors, and your applications just go places that they never have. So I think it's a, it's a very interesting time, the fact that you can target uh, just about any application type uh, with C-sharp uh, just gives you a lot of flexibility. 
Yeah, and, and like you said, uh, we at uh, Telerik Progress, we are uh, excited about some of the new things we see in .NET Core, uh, and we are going to keep uh, uh, producing more support for some of the ASP.NET tooling. I mean, it, it works right now, but uh, we'll just keep investing more into it as the community and developers uh, kind of catch on to .NET Core. Absolutely. And uh, I just want to end this with a quick uh, ask for help. So we are trying to make the podcast better. Uh, we'd like to get your feedback. Um, if you could please stop by developer.telerik.com slash survey. Uh, we have a nice questionnaire there with a couple simple questions on it. Uh, so you can rate the uh, quality of the show, give us some feedback on our topics and things that we choose to do on the show. Let us know how we're doing um, so we can do better. And uh, we're going to pick... 10 lucky people from uh, the, the folks who filled out the survey, and we're going to give some uh, Telerik licenses away. Uh, so we have some DevCraft complete licenses that we'll, we'll be giving out to 10 lucky uh, people who filled out the survey, as well as some t-shirts. So developer.telerik.com slash survey would really help us out. We appreciate it. Sam, thanks for uh, filling in for Brian today. I think we might have ran a little long, but we had a lot of uh, .NET Core news to talk about. Uh, I appreciate your time, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me.